Chapter 4 After the initial panic, my unemployment made me happy for a while. In the first week, I felt something in me gradually unwind, and by its absence, I realized that I'd been carrying around a high level of stress and anxiety for years. I felt changed and renewed. Others must have seen this too, as I noticed people responding to me. They smiled at me, and some of them engaged me in conversation. It felt like an amazing thing, too, that there was no rush to do anything. I could have a second coffee in whatever cafe I was eating in that morning. But as the weeks passed, I felt my happiness begin to slip. The first sign that there was a change was that the interaction for people stopped, and I began to be shy about being out in public. This was worse when I was walking in the city on a work day. I felt illegitimate, and that I shouldn't be there among all the real people. And then it struck me that I was spending too much money for someone who should be conserving money. What if there was not going to be, going to be another job? At the moment I didn't want one, but wasting money seemed irresponsible. Still, I was happy to live in my own small bubble. I could, I could walk late in the evening when hardly anyone else was about. I felt good about the actions I took to lower my spending. I cooked all my food during the next few months. I read many books that I had bought and never opened, and each day I set aside an hour or two for some study, just so that my mind stayed active and to give me some hope that I remained employable. But soon, about five months after my retrenchment, I began to find that there were problems with my choices. My emotions began to take a downward turn. On some days I'd get up in the morning and after having breakfast I'd sit for a while thinking that I might do this or that but in the end I would do nothing. And while I was trying unsuccessfully to decide what to do my thoughts would flit idly around not being able to grasp any idea firmly enough to see it through. Other days I would manage to get out of the house to do something but given my money saving the things I decided to do seemed plain and uninteresting and the lack of variety made what I did seem less like fun and more like work. I also began to get weird feelings of guilt and confusing thinking that I should be doing something more with my life, some, something important that wasn't just a pastime. But instead of looking for more, I began to drift back into my old habits. I reread fiction and binge watched familiar movies and TV shows. I would drag myself out to resupply as infrequently as possible. I had now completely stopped eating out and survived by eating frozen meals and drinking coffee. The days and weeks merge into a blur. I forgot who I was and instead drowned in the fictional worlds I was soaking in. But these fictions weren't able to take the place of real people. I began to feel the loneliness acutely. It wasn't that I'd ever been social, but I had seen and interacted with people at work. Now all of that was gone. My thoughts became sluggish and sad, and I stopped doing anything intellectual. I began to sleep for many hour, more hours than necessary. And when I woke, I would feel ha a hazy foggy fogginess that would sometimes last all day. Mess slowly accumulated in my flat, and the normal routines I did to keep my life in order were becoming random and sloppy. I'd reached a kind of stasis, however, never completely losing control and never completely losing my self-awareness. I still felt that I'd know if things got really bad. It was a Sunday evening and I was walking home from the supermarket carrying two fairly large, heavy, plastic bags full of groceries. The fresh sea air was clearing my head of the haze I was feeling. It had cooled down after a long, hot day, 
The sun had dipped below the houses in blocks of flats and the light was diffused through some sort of low, thin cloud leaving the scenery a subtle shade of orange-pink. For a while I forgot that tomorrow I would have nowhere to go and there would be nothing that I needed to do. I was almost enjoying myself. I reached the stairs leading up to the second story of my block of flats. As I began to climb them, I happened to look more closely at the handrails and I noticed the flaking paint and the spreading rust. I'd certainly seen this before, but now it had an odd effect on me. I began to notice many more signs of age and ugliness that I had previously ignored. I saw the dents and scratches and the delamination in the plywood skins of some of the front doors. I noticed the dangling flat numbers, the cracked glass and the little observation windows and everywhere unrepaired damage caused by exposure to weather or minor vandalism. While I knew this building was not necessarily upmarket, I'd never really looked, noticed before how horrible the place I lived was. But now, in this instant, I was struck in the face by it. Now all I could see was a nasty, neglected place, and I imagined the greedy landlord. What good things would have ever happened here? I imagined that the end of this place would be a gradual emptying until one day the last tenant would drive, drive off and the place would be abandoned and soon demolished. I imagined being that last tenant, staying until the last minute until the last cent of rent was used up, and then on demolition day a loud hailer would tell me to get out, and I would be forced to walk out with almost nothing. I reached my front door and went inside. It was a little better in here because my own belongings comforted me, especially the shelves full of familiar books, but somehow the ugliness and the mess seemed to have gotten worse while I was gone. I pushed myself to do something, and so, after putting away the groceries, I began to slowly and methodically tidy up. The television stayed off. After cleaning, I ate quickly, and then, with my surroundings in a more agreeable state, I started examining my situation. The first thing I realized with this was that I didn't have any clear idea of what I wanted, or where I wanted to go, or even who I wanted to be. My identity had previously been bound up with my work, but without the, that work, my view of myself was murky and ill-defined. I had let my life go to seed and weeds were all around me. I, I admitted to myself that I wanted one of the lives depicted on a TV series that I watched. I wanted a group of friends all interacting coolly and in respectful, mutually beneficial companionship. Now, as I thought more clearly about this, I saw the crazy irony that in the past six months since I'd stopped working, I had probably averaged about five words of conversation a day. I'd once thought that listening to the conversations on TV, would help, on TV would help me in some way to have real conversations. But now, as I thought about this dispassionately, I could see that watching these TV shows was just a distraction from real problems in my life. It seemed obvious to me now that what I'd been doing was almost as pointless as it would have been to drink myself into a stupor each evening. I sat for some time thinking about my aimlessness, but it seemed to me that I was helpless to figure out where I needed to go. The things I'd wanted over the years seemed unreachable from my tenuous position. My emotions began to take a downward turn and my hopelessness grew. I felt an urgent need to distract myself from my despair and to do something, anything. I made myself do the first thing that came to my mind. I would visit the local coin laundry. Visiting the laundry allowed me the possibility of having short conversations with fellow human beings, and I hoped that tonight there would be at least a few people, there usually was, just so that I could feel less alone, even if it turned out I would be too cowardly to speak to anyone. 
There was something relaxing about sitting in the laundry. Perhaps it was the warmth or the repetitive sound of the machines. The smell of or the idea of warm, dry, clean clothes. And watching ordinary strangers do laundry helped lessen the distance I was placing between myself and other humans. I was less intimidated by the laundry people. Random others outside walking the streets gave me no context for what their life was, so I imagined something special and always better than my own. Laundry was a leveller. It was such a mundane toast task that social status seemed non-existent. Of course, coming here late at night, as I was used to doing, and with the place being so near St Kilda, there had been occasions when disturbing people would come in. Not ever dangerous, but frightening, confronting, and at times difficult to be in the same space with. The laundry turned out to be empty when I got there. As my clothes washed, I sat and browsed on my phone. After all, I put the, down the phone, leaned back, and began to drift in and out of sleep. After this, perhaps a quarter of an hour later, a pair of female voices woke me. Two young women had come in while I slept. I watched them in my peripheral vision and it seemed to me that they might be a couple. They were dressed in a way that I imagined might make them goths. Neither of them glanced at me when I looked at them. I leaned back again and shut my eyes, thinking to pretend to be asleep while listening to them. I liked the way their voices sounded. Their conversation washed over me like pure cold water. They both had beautiful long black hair and pale skin with dark makeup. At first I wasn't clear exactly what they were talking about except that they mentioned some kind of a school and, that, and they both seemed a little agitated about something, perhaps the school. The couple of machines I was using finished and I went to gather the loads for the dryer. This meant that for a few minutes I was close enough to hear the, woman, the women distinctly. What they were discussing was a music school. I heard a name and the location, Paris. One of them was complaining about the cost and dismissing, dismissing the place as a scam. The other was affirming that she believed the place was real and was wishing they could afford to attend. I worked slowly so that I could listen. They continued to discuss the merits of the place, back and forth. After I sat back down, I imagined these two in a band. They seemed so young, but they were probably both in their early 20s. I could easily see them up on stage. I could, I could almost hear the way they would be singing together. I wondered if they were poor and struggling, but quite possibly they were from wealthy families and had only just only recently dropped out of a private school to move into an investment property belonging to one of their families. As I thought this, a voice in my head pointed out my prejudice. I felt shame both for listening to them and for judging them. But even if it was true that they were well off, I could feel sympathy for these women because how likely was it that they would have success if they intended to have a musical career? Even if they worked hard and then some musical skills only a very few got anywhere, would anyone ever hear about them? Would each wake up one day sitting at their desks doing some office job and only vaguely remembering these moments? I admitted to myself I was probably only thinking so sympathetically about them because I was affected by their attractiveness. It almost felt as if I should, I would speak to them and wish them luck, but of course, how could I put the words so as not to seem like a creepy old man? Suddenly the thought occurred to me that perhaps this eave, eavesdropping was by itself creepy. I hurried to put the clothes in the dryer and then went back to my seat and lay back, letting the sounds of the women's conversation be a backdrop to my drowsy thoughts. Again, I imagined them on stage, singing together. Perhaps one of them would be the guitarist. They would be singing beautiful dark songs about sadness, loss and death. 
My dryer finished and I emptied the results into my basket. One of the women was asleep with her head in the other's lap and the other was reading. I began walking out into the street and as I walked towards the woman I couldn't help but take one last long glance and I failed to drag my eyes away quickly enough. The girl I was staring at, the one reading, was exceptionally beautiful. I felt my mouth begin to smile without my having made any decision to do so and as I walked past she looked up and smiled at me and I couldn't help but smile back. I felt as if I could see a perfect soul through the exquisite look she gave me. I left the laundry without speaking, but I glowed all the way home, hardly noticing the weight of my, the basket. I had no idea how to feel or think about what had just happened. Perhaps to most people this was just a moment, out of many moments of a similar nature, but to me this felt like an earthquake. The young woman, woman might as well have gotten up, wrapped her arms around me and kissed me. As I walked up the street to my flat, I daydreamed. I'd found that they were already playing and I'd seen out the ads and had summoned up the courage to go and see them perform. In my dream, I felt incredibly brave since most of the crowd were much younger than I. I felt terribly out of place, but I endured. I stayed back out of the way and hoped that in the semi-darkness I would be overlooked. I had the feeling that it was okay to be there. The dream died once I began climbing the steps to my flat, but the smile stayed with me as I got myself into bed. I lay awake for some time, staring up at the faintly lit ceiling with the trees outside the window casting slowly moving shadows. I had always wanted, always wanted to be able to perform, and this event, hearing about this school, was curling around in my mind. I hadn't thought about making music, and had not done anything about it for many years. Maybe this was the thing that my life needed, the big change. And I could see that I needed some change because I could stay the way I was and eventually die without really living at all. As I dropped off to sleep and my consciousness faded, I felt myself slip back into the concert crowd, but this time there was a shocking change. I stood there in the dark again, but instead of hoping I wasn't seen, I had a strong feeling that I was expected on stage and I wasn't sure why I was standing where I was. I needed to make it to the stage without being seen or else I had this inexplicable feeling that there would be trouble. The next morning I went through my normal routine without thinking much about anything. I didn't remember dreaming at all. After I had breakfast I remembered the young woman. But now instead of making me happy I felt self-pity. I felt as if I had been teased and then I felt guilty for thinking that, for spoiling the connection I had felt and the generosity of the woman's smile. But now hopelessness and sadness walled up in me as all the worst thoughts presented themselves. Why would I think of being in any way connected to those women? The truth was I might as well have lived on a different planet. Perhaps she'd smiled because she suddenly thought of something that made her smile. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't even have been in her focus. I distracted myself browsing on my phone. This helped for a while, like eating chocolate, but then I... When I put the phone down in a new wave of distress, I remembered the other thing that I learned last evening. The music school in Paris. I'd picked the phone back up and searched for a while randomly for music schools in Paris, trying to find a match with the name I thought I remembered. There were a lot of music schools in Paris, and I wasn't sure if I was remembering the name correctly. But finally I came upon one with a name I thought was probably the one. It certainly was hideously expensive. The cost was about around 30000 per semester 
four semesters a year, two and a half years, payments in advance for each semester, and non-refundable for all lessons and board. All up the cost for a course would be $300,000. No wonder the woman's friend had rejected it out of hand. Berkeley, for instance, offered degree courses for around $65,000 a year. The main difference other than cost was that Berkeley had stringent selection procedures that involved tests and interviews. The French school seemed to allow anyone to attend who had the money, but appeared to winnow the field by investigating the prospective student's level of confidence. It did this, it seemed to me, by indicating that if you signed up, you were going to lose at minimum $30,000 worth of fees, one semester paid in advance, because if you didn't progress as they expected you, as they expected you would be asked to leave. The school was organised in the style of a private university and it seemed from the webpage to be very serious and exclusive. I tried to find a list of fam famous alumni but there was nothing. Students couldn't start at Berkeley until they were proven to be capable. This French school just took your money and let you in. The tone of the blurb on the website seemed to, be, seemed to me to be quite arrogant. If you met their high standards, you would be successful. If you performed at a higher level than at any other time in your life, if you could cope with the stress and were willing to sacrifice everything else in your life, then you would achieve more here than at any other school. Their methods were apparently better than anywhere else. I wondered how this worked in practice. I imagined a lot of rich kids who had much more confidence and money than ability arrive, arriving and taking up the time of those students who had the ability. I noticed that a student could start at any point during the school year and the two and a half years started from that point, so there would be students at all levels. I suppose that the exacting, exacting standards and the lack of entrance criteria meant a constant churn of students as the pretenders were weeded out. So perhaps allowing flexibility in enrolments kept the school population more constant. Surely the number of students at the school would always be restricted given the high prices charged. I was worried that the school might be almost a scam, or perhaps unethical, even if it was a real school. The whole scenario where students were able to attend no matter how incapable, given that the fees were non-refundable, seemed wrong to me. And the course they offered was over quickly, two and a half years instead of four years like Berkeley. The speed felt off, as if, it was, if I was, as if I was reading an ad for our mail order degree. Although reading more of the description provided information on how the French school had more specific goals. It was really all based around music theory and performing. There was no history of music nor any other liberal arts subjects available. So it cost more, was over more quickly, but was almost guaranteeing a professional level of expertise on finishing the course, if you were able. This was the catch, if you were able. Given what they promised and the small amount of time available, the expectation would have to be a massive amount of work. There wouldn't be time for sightseeing or even much sleeping. What there would be was a requirement for a massive number of hours each day and a hideously expensive fee. At the bottom of the page was the following. If you come to this place expecting special treatment, then save your money. Only the strong survive. There is no room for those who are shy or reticent. We don't care if you think you can't. We only care when you succeed. Trying to succeed is not enough. The sane, sensible part of my mind was wondering why I was thinking about this school at all. There were music schools much closer to where I lived, I felt sure. 
and schools that were all, and schools that were almost certainly much less expensive to attend. I couldn't, I couldn't think clearly about it all now. I would have to walk until I was exhausted and calm and, and had gained some clarity. There was also the ironic thought that I was reticent to add stress to my life when it seemed my life was suffering due to the lack of anything at all. Stress, stress might remind me that I was living. But the walk was torturous. My thoughts were out of control. I wish I had spoken to the young woman in the coin laundry, and I wish that I might see her again. Would I even talk to her? But uppermost in my mind was the stupidly expensive school in Paris. The romance of attending a school in Europe appealed to me, and learning to play and to sing and to be able to perform was an old fantasy that retained, it now appeared, a huge hold over me. Entertaining the possibility of attending this school was intoxicating, but the expense, the crazy expense, why would I ever pay so much for something like that? How often do musicians, even very good ones, earn enough money to, to exist without other work? And the technical, logical parts of my psyche were filling my mind with a nasty prejudice against the study of the arts I had thought I had eradicated. I could, I could afford to go to the school, not easily, but it was possible. But doing that would increase the risk in my life, limiting my options and increasing the possibility of being unable to continue to live in the way I was accustomed to living. Even if the school delivered what it promised for me, there was still no guarantee I felt that I could earn money as a musician. So I'd have to go back to real work sooner and the thought of this filled me with dread. But it felt to me that even a crazy nonsensical plan was better than the road I was on. There had been times recently when I'd felt close to what I imagined was, might be a nervous breakdown. Although it might have been more correct to say that I was close to being trapped in a kind of bored, hopeless malaise. Now, there was a kind of recklessness to my thinking. One part of me was not willing even to consider such a crazy idea, but another part was starting to see the possibilities. Of course, the crazy thoughts weren't serious, not really. They were like the thoughts I'd had of getting on a plane, for example, and travelling anywhere on a whim. I never got, even got close to doing that. I didn't have a passport. The same with the music school. Enrolling was just a dream I was having. It made me feel good in the moment. I'd never follow through and actually do anything about it. Right now, I kept on walking without any direction and finally ended up at the stairs at my floor, to my floor about an hour later. I was filled with confusion and a vague sense of missing something or missing out on something. I went in, drank some water and sat, staring out the window. Somehow, for me, the late morning sunlight ended up depressing me when it usually made me happy. To me, it seemed like the brightness just left the view overexposed and drained of colour. I couldn't even understand why I was thinking about the school. I felt that anyone paying so much money and taking that risk should have an idea that they had some aptitude, some reason to believe that they would be successful. I had taken singing lessons and I knew I could sing a little, enough to hold a tune, but this wasn't enough, surely, to have any, to have any surety that the school could work for me. So what was really being compared here, the very small possibility of becoming a musician whilst losing a large amount of money and my boring but safe life? Over the next few weeks, I tried to forget about the music school. I didn't see the young women again, and that evening felt as if it were a dream. I tried to convince myself that the idea of the school was just another fantasy, 
pointless and useless. It's late afternoon, I'm heading out to walk again, and I decide to take an unusual path this time, out towards the beach, instead of randomly walking the suburban streets. I intended to walk along the water's edge around towards St Kilda. I felt that I needed the sea air and the distraction of the surf, such as it was on this beach. More and more now I was getting a kind of tension headache which caused me to be annoyed at the memory of those women and their expensive school because I knew that the reason was that the idea of this school had infected me with something. Increasingly too I was afflicted with loneliness. I longed to talk to someone, anyone, but I felt that there was no one who would want to talk to me and perhaps paradoxically I didn't feel as if many people would be interesting for me to talk to. That's part way through chapter four. That's a very long chapter. Okay. I think my voice has reached the end of its um, tolerance for this reading. Uh, I'm not, not yet finished. That's not yet the end of chapter four. I'm, I hope that was interesting. Thanks for listening.